Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. I want Wednesday night to be the best night of the week for you, that you like coming to church. And one of the reasons you like coming to church is because you get to hear the Word of God, and because you're here uh, hearing the Word of God, you become a better Christian, you become a better mom or dad, whichever one might relate to you, a better uh, man, a better woman, a better husband, a better wife. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons for thinking that Wednesday night is the best night of the week, that you, you get to come to church. Now, the book of Colossians, we're going to have a great time in the book of Colossians. Tonight, the title is What It Means to Be Redeemed, and we'll get into that in a second. But like a lot of Paul's writings, uh, a lot of the letters he wrote are divided into two parts. The first half of the first part is theological and doctrinal. And then the second half is practical, and such is the case in the book of Colossians. And it's all important. I mean, the the practical doesn't work if you don't have the theological right, okay? So it's it's interrelated. One depends on, on the other. And I think you're going to enjoy and be blessed by this. And again, I hope you'll think that during the course of the week, the, the, your favorite night of the week is Wednesday night. Well, let's begin with a couple quotes about Colossians, because these quotes kind of give us a starting point, and it puts the book of Colossians in perspective. One writer said this, Colossians is filled with rich and abundant treasures of truth, okay? You hear a lot of professors out in the world, they're speaking theory. They're speaking their opinion, you know, and on some things they might get it, accidentally get it right, but more likely they're not. Well, when we read the book of Colossians, folks, you, you can take it to the bank. You can write it in granite. It is truth. And the value of that, I mean, coming to a place where you hear truth preach, where you don't have to question what you're hearing, there's huge value in that. So he says Colossians is filled with rich and abundant treasures of truth, treasures that will free us from spiritual starvation. Uh, That's what these homosexuals are facing and and all other lost sinners, not just them. Treasures that will free us from spiritual starvation and keep us from error if we will only give ourselves to diligent and careful study. And that's what it takes. You know, if you want to get the most out of God's word, you've got to give diligent and careful study to it. Then we get a little more perspective on Colossians. It is written to the church at Colossae. It says, Colossae was surely one of the most insignificant, okay? Colossae was surely one of the most insignificant cities in the province of Asia. The church of Colossae was quite small. And the letter to the Colossians was one of the shortest letters in the New Testament. But he goes on to say, But this little letter has an importance and a value out of proportion to its size. This epistle, more than anywhere in the Bible, according 
to this person's opinion, has the most significant and potent statements on the person and the work of Christ. And it's knowing Christ and having the reality of Christ in our lives which is going to make life in this sin-cursed world the best that we can possibly know it. What you're doing tonight and just gathering and hearing the preacher, you know, preach what I've studied this week, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you. Now, we want to first look at Colossae, the city. I think it's always good to get an idea of where it is and hope you can see it. Up in the left-hand corner, that's Italy. And, of course, the blue is the Mediterranean Sea. And then where you see Corinth there in the middle, that's, that's the, the Grecian peninsula coming down. And then over to the right is what is modern-day Turkey. And you can see there's Ephesus. And then to the uh, east of Ephesus is Colossae. So, you know, I think it helps to get in your mind where it is. Early in its history, Colossae was a very important city, but it diminished through the centuries. It says that later the Romans referred to it as a small town, an insignificant market town. By 400 AD, Colossae no longer existed as a city, And by 700 A.D., the town was completely deserted. And today, they can hardly even determine where the city might have existed back then. The people who uh, populated this area, when the book of Colossians was written, they were very mystically involved people people that were involved in heathen religions. The Greeks were involved with their pagan gods. The Jews were committed to the laws of Moses and being very legalistic. And all of that hodgepodge of heathen worship and Greek mysticism made Colossae a breeding ground for mixing all kinds of religions. Kind of like what we see going on in America today. The church that came to exist in that environment, it is suspected would have been founded around 56 A.D., about 56 years after the crucifixion of Christ. And Paul did not found that church. In fact, it's believed that Paul never visited this city in Colossae. Paul did spend two years at the city to the west in Ephesus. And that is significant because he spent two years there in Ephesus on his second missionary journey, in Ephesus being about 100 miles from Colossae. And it's from Colossae that Epaphras and Archippus went to Ephesus where they heard Paul preach. And no doubt, Epaphras especially was converted and went back to Colossae and there witnessed to people, told people the good news of Christ and people got saved and they did what they're supposed to do. They formed a church. So again, Paul doesn't go to Colossae, but he is preaching in Ephesus and apparently Epaphras, who is the pastor now at Colossae, went to Ephesus He heard Paul preach. He went to the revival meeting there in in, um, Ephesus, heard Paul preach, and then comes back to Colossae. 
the church at Colossae was thought to have never grown to be a big church, but nonetheless a dynamic church. It's believed that they met in the house of Philemon, Philemon, and uh, that this is the church that Paul never visited. Now, Paul, though, did address the problems going on in this church. And one writer said, I don't have it as a quote, but he said, this shows Paul's concern for all the churches, not just the big and the powerful ones. It also indicates that one does not have to be a mega church to get the attention of God or men. Epaphras was the one, they believe, that got saved, goes back, witnesses to people, people get saved, and then they form a church. Now, Paul is in Rome. There are problems in the church at Colossae. So Epaphras, as the pastor, traveled a thousand miles to Rome. It would have taken him months to make this journey, to visit with Paul in prison, and to relay to him, Paul, the concerns that he had about things that were going on in his church. A church always has to stay on its toes. A church is always under the constant threat of attack. And while sometimes attacks come from without, most often attacks come from within. And pastors and and godly mature Christians always have to be on alert. There had been a heresy that had arisen in the church in Ephesus. And Epaphras, or in Colossae. And Epaphras, obviously, being a new Christian, being a new convert, being a new pastor, didn't know what to do. So he goes to the only man that he knew to go to, and that was the Apostle Paul. And Epaphras goes to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and Epaphras brings news of the false teaching which had invaded the Colossian church. It appears that most of the Christians in that church remained faithful to true Bible doctrine, but others were having struggles with that and were accepting the the pressure of entertaining the idea of false doctrine being mixed in with them. It's supposed that the letter that Paul writes back to that church was written about 62 A.D., And what Paul does in this letter is at the end, he will give them some practical advice. But at the beginning, he lays down a foundation for their belief in Christ. And it's after that that he addresses some very practical problems. Now, Paul begins this letter, and this is what it is. We call it a book of the Bible, but really it it is a letter that he wrote to this church. And let's start. We're just going to look at the first few verses. In verses 1 and 2, He identifies himself. Back then, they put their name at the beginning of a letter rather than at the end of the letter, which makes sense. Because when you get, well, nobody gets letters anymore. But when you used to get letters, what do you do? First thing you do is look down at the bottom and see who it's from. Well, in this letter, he identifies himself. He identifies Timothy. He acknowledges the church at Colossae. He, He calls them saints. He acknowledges that they're saved, that they're indeed brethren, which is what a church is supposed to consist of. And he bestows upon them his desire that they experience grace and peace from God and Jesus. So what did he say? Let's read it now. Colossians 1.1. Here's how Paul starts this letter. 
Again, he knows he's got to deal with problems, but he starts off with a very kind... uh, The salutation is at the end, right? Salutation is at the beginning. He starts off with a very kind salutation. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, which he never visited. But he says unto them, because there's, you know, you just have a, an understanding that you're related to brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you've met them or not. But he says unto them, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 3, he tells them how thankful he is for them, that he's going to pray for them. Verse number 3, he then says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. That's how we ought to feel about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to be able to give thanks to God for them. And we should always be praying for them. And again, and I pointed out every opportunity I get, this great theme of prayer through the Bible. It comes up from Genesis to Revelation time and time again. And Paul, here he is at the very beginning of this letter. What is he telling them? Praying always for you. That ought to convict us. I, I don't know the prayer habits of anybody in this room other than myself. And I know that often, even as a pastor, I hate to admit it, I struggle with it. I don't know that it makes me feel any better to know that other preachers do too. People do. But this is a reminder that we need to be committed. We need to be dedicated. We need to be disciplined. Here he is at the beginning of this letter, and one of the first things he says that he's praying for them. And then in verses 4 and 5, he states the blessings of what it means to be redeemed. Three important theological facts. Here is what he is emphasizing, and this is significant. He says, we give thanks, we're praying for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's significant. That was significant to these Colossians who were in this hodgepodge of heathenism and worldliness, uh, worldly, worldliness, worldliness. I just invented a new, that's not funny, Sharon. <laughs> worldly, they had a bad case of worldliness there. <laughs> I knew as it was coming out, that didn't sound right. Just like when I said smarty pants, that didn't come out right either. So in verse 4 and 5, he states the blessings. Verse number 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. And thirdly, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. That is significant what he is saying about those people. That is profound what has happened to this small group of believers. They have now faith and they have love for the saints And they have the hope of heaven. There's nothing in your life that is going to surpass that. And what he said of them, my prayer is, can be said of us here at my old Baptist church. And that we can appreciate this. And that we understand that. Yeah, we all have problems. We all have burdens. We all have concerns. 
There's things we're having to work through. There's things we're having to figure out. There's wayward children. There's illnesses. There's, there's troubles in marriage sometimes. But what I want to emphasize tonight is if you have this faith in Christ and the love to the saints and the hope of heaven, you are blessed. And then in verses 5 through 8, after he states these three great truths, these three great blessings that I hope each one of us can lay claim of tonight, that it's as fresh with us today as it was when Paul penned these words, then he explains how they heard the truth and they experienced the grace of God. Here's how you get this. You don't get this any other way. Colossians 1, 5. Whereof ye heard before. He's greeting them. Now he's, he, he's acknowledging what they have, and now he's explaining how they got it. Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, faith, love, hope, as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it. And knew the grace of God in truth. You hear the truth of the gospel. You experience the grace of God. It brings forth fruit. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. He acknowledges Epaphras as a faithful minister of Christ, a man that was willing to travel many months to have simply some conversations with the Apostle Paul. This is a man that wanted to get it right. Epaphras should serve as a, as a beacon to all men who are pastors today, to, to love their flock enough to do whatever it takes to make sure that you're getting it right in the pulpit. Paul, in verses 4 and 5, gave thanks for what they experienced, the faith, the love, and the hope. A couple quotes concerning that. Three divine graces should be always conspicuous in Christians. Faith, love, and hope. What he's saying there is that should be conspicuous in Christians. It should be obvious to our family that we are men and women of faith, love, and hope. In the workplace, it should be conspicuous to others. That we are people of faith, love, and hope. You might have the reputation of being a good worker. You might have the reputation of being knowledgeable about sports. You might have the reputation of being able to tell good stories or funny stories. But all of that should pale in comparison to us being known as people who have experienced faith, love, and hope. They are each mentioned by Paul in the opening verses of the epistle from which our text is taken. 
These lovely graces should be so conspicuous in every believer as to be spoken of and consequently heard by even those who have never seen us. But that should be our reputation. You know, even people that don't know us, if they hear about us, one of the things that that should be obvious about us is that we're people of faith, love, and hope. What should not be obvious about us is that we're gossips, or that we have a temper, or that we are troublemakers, or that we're lazy. Paul is acknowledging what he knows to be true of these people. Then he goes on to say, these flowers, talking about faith, love, and hope, should yield so sweet a perfume that their fragrance may be perceived by those who've never gazed upon them. So was it with the saints at Colossae. May our characters be such as can be reported of without causing us to blush, but they can never be the case if these essential virtues are absent. If these things are in us and abound, we shall not be barren or unfruitful. But if they are lacking, we are as withered branches. That's the last thing we need in these troubled days. For us to be a bunch of withered branches walking around our communities, around our families. I'm not saying it's easy. We have to work at it. The Bible tells us, you know, you got to do things like study to show thyself approved. You know, deny yourself. It, 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 it takes some self-effort. And God gives us the help of a pastor, of, of the Word of God, of the Holy Spirit, of the church, your, your church family. You have all these things to assist you. But our ultimate goal should be that when people see us, that they see faith, that they see love, and they see hope. Is that how people who know you, is that how they would describe you? I'm convicted by that question. That they know you as a person of faith. Or do you hide it at work? Do you not go there when you're around family and friends. I'm not talking about being arrogant about it or an in-your-face kind of faith. I'm just talking about a simple, humble faith that speaks loud when it's Wednesday night and you go to church. Faith is evident, not by you putting it in somebody's face, but when they know on Sunday morning, oh, no, your neighbors say, no, they're not home, they're at church. When will they be back? Um, 2.33, something like that. They know you as people of faith. People of love and people of hope. Maybe some of us aren't there yet, but all the more reason to spend time in God's word, spend time with God's people, acknowledge where we are weak and areas in which we need to work on. I would love for the Apostle Paul to say of the people of my old Baptist church, that I've heard of your faith, I know of your love, and your hope of heaven. That should be our desire. Maybe you're not there yet, but keep working at it. 
Keep, keep working. And, and you're gonna, yeah, we're going to have bad days, and we're going to have to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. But you, how does the song go? Pick yourself, pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Start all over again. Not in the Bible, but it's good advice. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.